because some answers were given at MPA on Thursday night. One was for Dalton, so here you go, buddy. One was for Miss Kay, so here you go. If you don't like Famous Amos, I'm so sorry, but here's a little trick. Take them home, pour them in a, or put them in a bowl and pour some milk on top of them. Completely unhealthy, but it's like cookie crisp, so it's delicious, and so it's like a cereal. Um, but the question that was asked was when Parker was here last week to be able to uh, continue and to be able to fill in for me very last minute, and I thank you so much for that, Parker, um, is that as you guys were journeying through Amos chapter 4, there was this repeated phrase that was mentioned so many different times in Amos chapter 4 that it seemed like maybe perhaps the prophet was trying to make a point. Does anybody else remember what was that repeated phrase in Amos chapter 4 that he kept, kept bringing up? Does anybody remember that? You can, you can cheat. It's open book test. I mean, I'm not going to be anti. That. Does anybody remember what it was? Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? If you didn't hear that, Paula, I just feel like you need a cookie, so here you go. <laughs> all right, there we go. Um, all right, so if you have that Bible, uh, I hope that you will join me in the book of Amos. Again, thank you to Parker. I do ask that uh, you bear with me. <clears> throat's still a little bit itchy, uh, and so I may be stopping to get a drink from time to time. But as we journey in, we're literally right in the middle of our study of the book of Amos. Chapter 5 is just right there, and we're going to be looking at something a little bit different. And so it does remind me, because uh, I don't want to do this after we read and pray, and then you're like, oh, I didn't know this. There is a handout in the back for today that if you would like to have that to be able to follow along, um, then by all means, uh, be sure to grab that here in just a moment. And then it's, it's designed in such a way that you actually have some room to be able to fill in and kind of add your own notes so that way uh, you're able to then maybe later on take that and put that in the margins of your Bible, much in the same way I was telling our MPA crew as we've been journeying through Song of Solomon, uh, there's a lot of notes to take because it's ancient Near Eastern poetry, and we don't really know what it means when you compliment a woman to have hair like a flock of goats. And so uh, you might not remember that always, and so you might take from your notes that you wrote down and then put that in the margin of your Bible so that way you know what that means and you guys don't get in trouble for it. And so Amos chapter 5 is where we begin uh, here this morning, and as we do, uh, I just wanted to mention, um, kind of telling on myself, uh, in my fall of my junior year of high school, uh, I had just gotten my license a few months beforehand, and um, basically we were on a scavenger hunt, and so you're driving around, I'm 16 years old, you're very excited, and some of you know what the term, uh, or what, what a policeman who's like a Barney Fife, what that kind of means. It's an individual who is looking to see if you even go one mile per hour over the speed limit, you're going to get pulled over and you're going to get a ticket. And so I knew that in Jinx America, that if you go one mile over the speed limit, you're probably going to get pulled over and get a ticket. But as one does, as a 16-year-old who is excited to win a scavenger hunt, you're driving around as quickly and as fast as you can. And let's just say that I was going about 20 miles over uh, the speed limit whenever uh, a cop found me at about 10.30 at night, and uh, he pulled me over. To this day, if you know who this is, I have a hard time listening to the band Collective Soul. It's very difficult for me. It brings back a lot of traumatic memories. And I can remember getting that speeding ticket, and uh, it, it crushed me because of two things. One, uh, I had to tell my parents, and, and just in my relationship with my mom and dad, I, I did not want to disappoint, and I knew that this would be disappointing. And so I shared with them 
And then I knew that I was going to have, as, as the officer told me, I was going to have to take this ticket to court. And that made me very nervous for a variety of reasons because I'd never been to court and I didn't know what that entailed and I didn't know if I was going to have to, you know, spend a night in the clink or something like that. And so I, 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 I visit with my mom and dad. They're very kind and gracious, still kind of a consequence of, you know, breaking the law. And I can remember going to City Hall to, if you will, plead my case. And this is what my dad told me. He said, just say yes, sir, and just throw yourself at the mercy of the court and allow him to do what he will do. Speak the truth, be honest, but recognize that you were guilty. Don't try to fight it or justify it. Recognize your guilt and throw yourself at the mercy of the court. And thankfully, that judge was merciful. He knew I was guilty going 20 over, And what he decided to do is he said, so this doesn't go on your record and it doesn't mess with your insurance or anything like that. You're going to serve community service for about eight hours on a Saturday. And I do think I got my just discipline and consequence because I went to pick weeds at City Hall. And at that time, I didn't recognize what poison ivy was. And so (laughs) let's just say that I... I I found uh, my old nemesis and uh, he won again. But as we look at this passage... What you guys have been studying with myself and with Parker has basically been split even at this point. Um, What we've been seeing is that the northern kingdom of Israel has been basically found guilty and wanting for their just straying from the law of God and the purposes of God and the heart of God as His people. And now we come to chapter 5. I want to read just verses 1 through 17. We're going to read a large chunk, uh, and then we're going to dive in. So look at verse 1 with me. He says, hear this word, which I take up for you as a dirge or a lament, O house of Israel. She has fallen. She will not rise again, the virgin Israel. She lies neglected on her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which has gone, which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have 10 left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, here it is, seek me that you may live. Underline it, highlight it, that is is the thing today. Verse 5, but do not resort to Bethel and do not come to Gilgal nor cross over to Beersheba for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity and Bethel will come to trouble. Verse 6, seek the Lord that you may live. Or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night and calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate. Think of like the gates, the courts. And they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, 
And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. And perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, says the Lord God of hosts, the Lord, there is wailing in all the plazas, and in all the streets they say, alas, alas. They also call the farmer to mourning and professional mornings to lamentation. And in all the vineyards there is wailing, because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. May we seek the Lord and live as a people, as a church, as an individual. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that our hearts and our minds and our wills would just be attuned uh, and in line with you as we take a moment just a brief moment to be able to hear what you have to say to us. So if you would, would you pray right now for yourself? Would you just ask God to tune your heart and your mind and your will to be in line with him today? Would you pray for me that I will be able to articulate and be a help as we study this passage? Father, we bring this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to, to begin this morning, this is why the handout is, 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 is important for you, is what I wanted us to do is, one, I wanted us to read the entirety of the passage so you kind of grasp what is going on and kind of a picture of it. Um, but I also wanted to start just real briefly with like a bird's eye view of what this passage is teaching us and what it's showing us. And then in just a few moments, we're then going to kind of zoom in and take a look at the specifics of this. And to do that, what I'm, what I'm showing you and introducing to you um, there on the handout is, is you're going to notice that there's kind of a structure to this specific passage of Scripture. And what's going on here is this isn't something that you have to know, but, but it is an interesting thing is that uh, most, most commentators, most scholars, and I agree, believe that what Amos is using is a, a literary device called a chiasm. And he's using what's called a chiastic structure in his writing of this passage. And the whole point of that, whether you remember that term or not, it doesn't matter, but the whole point of that is that this was a literary device in order to make an emphatic point so that you would remember it. It wasn't just, <clears throat> I'm doing this cutesy little thing and writing a certain way just because, wow, look at me, I wrote something in a chiasm, but it's, I want you to get this and I want you to remember it. And what he does is he kind of starts here and he gives like a line of thought and he gets to kind of his main thing and then he comes back and he mirrors it. And so I just want to show you what that looks like real, real briefly, kind of the bird's eye view, and then we're going to drill down and take a look at what these are specifically. So what you can see there in your handout is A. So Eric, if you would, can we look at A? So A is just this, and this is in verses one through three. What we're going to find there is death is just around the corner. What a pleasant way to start the, the service and to start the message. Death is around uh, the corner. But then the, the second emphasis he's making is in verses four through six. So, so letter B is that, well, since death is around the corner, it might be a good idea that you repent. You need to repent. And then he goes from there to, to letter C is that the reason why you need to repent is that justice is perverted or has been perverted, manipulated, abused. That's what's going on. And then he goes into his next point there in, uh, in verse uh, 8, is that it's saying since justice has been perverted, you need to repent. The reason why is because God is going to act in judgment over nature. 
God is a good and righteous judge, and he's going to deal with the manipulated, perverted, and abused justice. And in case you don't know who that is, at the very end of verse 8, it says here, letter E, Yahweh is his name. Yahweh, he's talking again to the northern kingdom of Israel, so he's talking to followers of God. They know that name. And so it's like, Amos is saying, and if there's any confusion of who God is, and does he have the authority, the capability uh, to be able to enact judgment, don't forget, this is his name. This is who we're dealing with. As I reminded me of, if you were here last week with Parker, is this idea of know who you're talking to. <laughs> Recognize that he is God. And then what happens here is at this point, you begin to see the mirroring effect of this literary device that is called a chiasm. Again, for the point of not, ooh, look at me, I wrote this way, is he wants his people to get it, and he wants to be emphatic with it, so that hopefully they walk away and go, oh, I heard what you said. So now the mirror of this is D, uh, D with the asterisk. Uh, so in the same way that Yahweh is his name, now we're going to be kind of building back up towards, uh, towards A, is God acts in judgment, not just over nature, but also over humanity. You see that in verse 9. Let's look at uh, C. Uh, and again, what you see is the parallel, you see the mirroring, is that God acts in judgment over humanity, but then verses 10 through 13, again, why? Why would God enact judgment? Because justice has been perverted. Justice has been abused. Then you come to B, and because it has, you need to repent. And then it finishes with A, otherwise death is around the corner. And, there, and again, the whole point of that is this is Amos wanting the people of Israel to get it because their life is at stake. The name of God is at stake, but, but if he's like, man, let's get personal with you. We, we could talk about the grand idea and it's good of the glory of God and the name of God. Obviously, hopefully we want to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling that represents the Lord well. But on a practical level, man, if you guys don't repent, it's going to be bad. <laughs> and I care enough because Yahweh is my name that I want to warn you and I want you to hear this clarion call so that you would hear it, receive it, and respond to it so that you may live. So now let's drill down. Look at these first three verses in chapter 5 when he says death is around the corner. What, what the prophet Amos is doing, what God is really doing through him, is that God is speaking a lament over his peoples, that word dirge in verse 1. And what he's describing here is that there's this imagery this tragic imagery of a young woman, when he refers to the virgin Israel, a young woman who's about to enter into full womanhood, like she's about to, to kind of live her life. And he's saying, what's about to happen is you should be nation of Israel, northern kingdom. You should be at that moment where you're out of your teen years and now it's time to go and live your life. Get married, have the babies, have the, just, just go and live your life. And it's like, but sadly, as a result, it's going to be cut short. And I lament over that because that's not what God desires or designs. Have you ever seen, it's so sad whenever you see a, a young person who's legitimately, even maybe perhaps through a sad and tragic situation of maybe, of maybe death, of where someone's life is, is, is cut short. And it's not that death at any point isn't sad, but there's just something of when you see a young person in their life, they're just cut down before they got to experience the prime of, of, of that life of, of adulthood and what they could experience. He also says in verse 3 that, that what's going to happen is the, the defeat that you're going to experience, death, if you will, is around the corner 
is going to be incredibly devastating. There's going to be a military defeat to where you're going to experience a 90% casualty rate. When he says in verse 3 that there are a thousand strong with a hundred left, there are a hundred strong with ten left, that's demonstrating that 90% casualty rate is going to take place. And the sad truth is, in just a couple of hundred years, actually, no, no, not in a couple hundred years, not, not long from this, actually, the kingdom of Assyria is going to come in and just utterly devastate the northern kingdom of Israel. There's one other thing I want to hit on before we go into the next section is you may have noticed, at least in, in the translation that I have, is the very, very first words of the opening of this chapter are hear this word. And maybe you've noticed this, maybe not, but have you noticed that in chapter 3 of Amos and in chapter 4 of Amos, now in chapter 5, each time it starts with hear this word, hear this word. And what my hope is that, is that we would hear this word. I know that we could come into a situation setting like this, and maybe, maybe right now we're not hearing God or his word because we're too busy, or we're far too bored, or maybe we're stressed out, or maybe we've been hurt in some fashion, maybe we're just being a little bit lazy. Whatever it is, is the people of Israel, we would be like, on the outside, you know, you know, many, 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 many centuries later, millennia later, we would go, guys, why didn't you get it? God is warning you. Did you not hear? And I would say, man, point that finger though back at you and back at us and back at me of, are we hearing the word of the Lord? Or are we so caught up in our stuff that we're oblivious to what he's saying to us? It's easy for us to look at this and go, Israel, you're, you're manipulating justice. Shame on you. That's not right. And it's like, but, but are we in any way not hearing clearly the word of God when we take that time for a daily devotion? when we take that time to come into a setting like this, that we would hear and that we would receive, as opposed to just being so, our, our minds or our hearts just so filled and so heavy that, that we don't have the ability to perceive and to hear. And what God is saying when he says, hear this word, in, in chapter three, all the way through the middle of chapter four, he's saying, hear this word, Israel, <laughs> you're guilty and here's the evidence. <laughs> you're, you're guilty of the things that I've presented to you and you, and, and you know it. At the latter half of chapter 4, he's saying, you know that you're guilty, you've been warned, and this is the terrifying part, you don't care. May we not get to that point of where we just kind of go through the motions of coming together, even like on a Sunday morning, and go, well, it's time for Stephen to preach, or it's time for the preacher to preach, or like Doug is at Crossway this morning, well, it's just preaching time, it's just time for the Word, and it's like, no, 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 this is the Word of God, are you going to hear it? I can remember uh, a great friend of mine. He wasn't a mentor, but he certainly uh, influenced me. But I remember we were in seminary, and he made the comment to me. He said, I determined while I was in college that if the gathering of the church is important to God, that we would not forsake one another, then I want to adopt that heart and mindset that it's important to me. So that means that if I want to hear the Word of God, and it's a unique way, isn't it, when we come together corporately as a group as opposed to just individually? It's just a unique thing. He's like, if I'm going to hear the Word of God with my brothers and sisters, and yes, it might be just to me because it's not interactive per se, then why would I not prepare my mind and my heart on Saturday night? Why would I not want to go to bed at a decent time as opposed to, well, it's Saturday night, 
and I'll just do kind of what I want. But, but how often do we come with the mindset of being prepared to want to hear from the Lord because we don't want to miss what he has to say? I begin to adopt that mindset and attitude of just like, yeah, it's not that you got you to curfew, you got to be in at a certain time, if you will, but it's just that thing of, I don't want to miss it. Because I believe that when we read the word, and when the word is proclaimed and uh, 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 preached, that if God is speaking, man, we should listen, and we should hear what he has to say, that we would hear this word. The word that he's specifically giving to the northern kingdom of Israel through Amos is, the sentence has been read, the judgment, you've been found guilty, the judgment is pending, and what we might think is that the next line item that God would say is, since the sentence has been read and you have been found guilty, here comes the hammer. (laughs) I'm going to bring it down on you because you have earned it. It is the consequence of your transgressions and your sin. And this is where we got to be careful of, yes, God is good and just and righteous to be able to dispense his wrath and his judgment. But the beautiful thing, and this is where we get off sometimes, is sometimes we have this mindset that we'll read the minor prophets and we'll go, well, there's the God of the Old Testament again, just mean and angry. I like the God of the New Testament, gracious and loving and forgiving. Christian, beware that we would want to give God two different personalities or temperaments because then we begin to deal and have struggles with this idea that he is not eternal and that he is God of eternity, past, present, and future, and he is just God. And he has a steady hand of, yes, wrath and justice and judgment, but he also has that steady hand of love, grace, and mercy. And it's almost as if he kind of tips his hat of, yes, the justice and the judgment and the holiness will be preserved, but man, I want to give you the grace. I want to dispense the mercy and the forgiveness. So that's why I'm speaking up. I'm not some kind of rude, mean, sadistic deity. I am a deity that at my heart and my core and my character is love. And because I love, I warn. I cry out to you so that you would seek me and live. That's the order of things. That's the God, if you will, of the Old Testament. Because that's just who God is. Seek me that you may live. That's what we see in verses 4 through 6. That's even what he he cries out to begin with. And I began to think about this. You ever sometimes been in a church setting or or in a Bible study and people are like, you know what we need to do? We just need to trust God. And you're like, yeah. What does that mean? Or you go through hardship or difficulty and says, God is good. And you're like, I know that's true, but my heart is broken and I'm struggling. And I began to think about this, like if these people have been so distant from God, and the prophet Amos is saying, seek God that you may live, it's like, that makes sense. What does it look like? Like that's kind of broad strokes in general, that's good, but but what does it look like? What does it mean? It sounds wonderful, but what? And it kind of gives us an idea of what it's not. When he talks about Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba, you're like, what are those and what do they mean? We're not going to dive too deep into it, but Bethel is the place where God revealed himself to Jacob. So it's kind of an important site, if you will. 
Gilgal is Israel's first campsite when they'd been wandering through the wilderness and on the other side of the Jordan River trying to enter into the promised land. Once they crossed the river Jordan and got into the promised land, Gilgal was their first campsite where this new generation is committing themselves to God and his ways. Beersheba is where Abraham worshiped and where God reveals himself also to his son and his grandson, Isaac and Jacob, and reiterated his covenant promise to them as his people. And what he's saying is, man, don't go to Gilgal, don't go to Bethel, don't cross over to Beersheba, don't get caught up in the, in the place or the religious practice, but man, get caught up in me. I want you to pursue me. And sometimes, man, we, we can be so guilty of this. And I've seen it not just, not just here, but when I, I've had the opportunity to go overseas. I can remember being in Cambodia. And I can remember people longing for something that is in their heart, which is to worship someone or something, and wanting some kind of something or someone to be uh, a benevolent deity in their life. And they would go to these temples, and they would have these prayer wheels, and they would you know, kind of literally spin them and just be like, and they, they were just praying to, 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 to these different idols, and they would go into these places with hardly any resources, and they would bring like bits and pieces of a loaf of bread, or, 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 or maybe money, when they were living on a dollar or two a day, and they're just desperate for a deity to bring relief in their life. When I went to, when I went to Russia, I remember going to a Russian Orthodox church, such devotion and dedication of these Russians going in to this beautiful and ornate Russian Orthodox church, think almost like Catholicism, and they were, they were going in there, and there would be these images and these pictures of these saints, and people would come, and they would place their money, and they would get on their knees, and they would light these candles, and they would go through all of the practices and all of the ritual and the routine because they're desperate for someone or something to enter and engage and initiate in their life. And the same is true for us. And we got to be careful that, that we're not about, that as, as mission point, that we're not about being about, you know, religious practices are not a bad thing. Coming here at this place is not a bad thing. But the practice and the place are not a substitute for God. And so we want to pursue God. We want to go after Him and His heart to where we don't become legalistic or anything like that. As, as Parker shared last week, as I mentioned before, we want to know who we're talking to. We also want to remember the character of God's heart. And so as a result, we would say, yes, I adhere and I agree. I want to seek the Lord so that I could live life abundant. So when you're going to seek after God, yes, come to church. Have a time devoted to be able to spend with him at your breakfast table tomorrow morning. Have those moments of where you pray and you are disciplined to, to say, I'm going to pray at this time. I'm going to, I am going to prepare my heart on a Saturday night so that I can be ready to hear from the word of God on Sunday morning because we're dealing with eternity issues. I don't want to just go through the motions now, be disciplined in those areas, but don't lose the heart that you're pursuing God. Not a feeling. Feelings aren't bad, but we're not pursuing a feeling. We're pursuing a person. We're pursuing God Almighty. And that is found ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. So he says, death is around the corner. He says, so seek me and live. Verse 7, justice is perverted. Why do you need to repent why do you need to seek me, come after me, that you may live? Because you stand guilty before God, specifically of manipulating, abusing justice, God's law, and God's people. He goes on from there, and 
Verse 8, when he says uh, God's act, acts and judgments over judgment over nature, again, as I mentioned before, it's demonstrating that God has the true power and authority to be the sovereign judge. When he mentions the Pleiades and Orion, some of you know those are constellations up in the sky. There are these beautiful things. And what he's saying is essentially this. The reason why God has that ability is just as when you see those constellations, it represents the changing of seasons. When he talks about uh, darkness, uh, a darkness day into night, or excuse me, who also darkens day into night, who calls forth the waters of the sea, pours them out on the surface, he's saying, our God is one who is the authority of the changing of the seasons. He's the authority of one day to another, and he's also the one who brings the rain. This is who our God, he has the authority over nature. And then finally, the end of verse 8, he says, Yahweh is his name. Because he, what he's doing, he's saying, this isn't just who God is. Yes, he has the ability to control nature and control the weather and do all these things. That's, who he, that's what he does. But remember who he is. Hear his name. Yahweh is his name. I just took a passage out of so many that would help describe and remind us of who God is. Psalm 18, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. You know the beautiful thing about that is this. I said, seek God that you may live. Why? Well, hopefully we as Followers of Jesus want to live beyond reproach. We want to be as blameless as we possibly can, not out of legalism, but out of love. And what the beautiful thing in this psalm is saying, God, his ways are blameless. And when you seek him, the God whose ways are blameless girds you with strength to make your ways blameless. You get to have that same heartbeat, that same characteristic as God Almighty because you seek him. Sometimes we're like, and our individual lives are like, man, I just feel like I'm struggling. I feel like my, my, my pride is out of control. My selfishness is out of control. My anger is out of control. And I'm not saying that it might not be. But what I would say is, man, seek God because his ways are blameless. And just see if you don't spend time with him, if your ways begin to become more blameless. Because you're in his presence. So now he begins the mirroring in verse 9. Not just that God acts in judgment over nature, but he acts in judgment over humanity. It's that reminder of, okay, yeah, this is his name, this is his character, this is who, who he is, but don't forget also what he does. Sometimes we want one or the other. We like the idea of who God is. He is love. First John chapter 4. But man, don't forget that what he does, he is holy and just and righteous, and he dispenses those things in order to preserve those things. In verses 10 through 13, there's a lot to be said in this, but we just don't have the time for it this morning. But in verses 10 through 13, he's giving specific examples of how justice has been abused, manipulated, and perverted with the people of God. God sees it. He knows what's going on. He sees that people are going to the court system, the gates, and the rich are abusing the poor. They're taking advantage of them. And he's like, that's not right. Another way to put it is God, think of this, God is brokenhearted over the awful things that people were doing to one another and to him. He's looking and saying, these individuals are created in my image, and this is how you are treating them. What it made me think of was, yes, our, our partnership with Revision and going into the DR, and it made me think of, of specifically Revision and that ministry that Doug has of, of uh 
kind of their, their banner, the, 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 the motto, the theme that they have that they kind of rally around, which is that we would minister to the least of these. And it made me think of that passage in Matthew 25 whenever Jesus is giving the parable. And he, he's giving the parable and he's talking about how there were those who were hungry and you fed them. And there were those who were thirsty, and you gave them something to drink. And there were those who were strangers, and you invited them in. There were those who were without clothing, you gave them clothes. There were those who were in prison, and you visited them. And what's interesting is in my Bible, this isn't in every Bible, but in my Bible, it entitles this section not how to dispense social justice, not how to live out a good moral life as a Christian. It's entitled, The Judgment. <laughs> That's what it's entitled, because what's happening is, is Jesus is saying, man, if you are a follower of mine, then why would your heart not beat like mine? You want to know that you know that you are in Christ, then why aren't you behaving and conducting your life like Christ? He's saying, man, when I see people that are in need, I want to help meet that need. When I see a hurt, I hurt. It makes me think of Mark 9, of where he saw the people and his heart was moved with compassion that that would be the heartbeat of, of us, that we would see people and we would say, man, we want to adopt the heart of God, not out of, again, a legalistic thing, but an allegiance thing. I want to be like Him. I want to conduct my life like Him because He is a God that is good and a God that is just. Finally, he says, again, the mirrored part in verses 14 to 15, basically, so you need to, uh, to repent I remember years ago when I, first, when, I, when I was pastoring my first church, I used the word repent, and I, uh, it was kind of interesting. I had a very fringe person who was a part of the church who was like, I don't think you should use the word repent. And I was like, okay, well, why not? And he said, people don't understand, it's too churchy. I said, I don't, I don't disagree. That, that can kind of be a churchy term. You might not hear it very often, but very kindly and tactfully as a 26-year-old, uh, I said, but I don't want us to stray from what Scripture specifically says or teaches. And so what I don't want to do is throw out the word, seek God and live or repent, even to us as a group. But I do want to explain what that is because it's such a good word that encapsulates so much that we don't want to just forfeit it because time has gone on and we could use different words. The word repent, it means the changing of one's, not only their mind, but their attitude and their purpose. That's repentance. It's a changing of the mind, the attitude, and the purpose. And there's a sense of, of, of pain. There's, there's a sense of, of, of a bit of grief. Of you're recognizing something in your life that is askew or off, and it grieves you. But there's the hope of, if that's askew, that's not. And I want to go away from that and towards that. That is good. It's not simply a change of the mind, but it's heartfelt transformation away from sin and towards God. It's this idea, it's a military term, if I'm going to do an about face, if I've been living my life, my way, I'm the authority, and then I recognize there is a good and loving God and there is sin in my life, and if I don't deal with it, His holiness and His justice is going to have to deal with the consequences of my sin, but because He's loving, gracious, and merciful, and as we sing, His mercy is more, that I can turn toward Him by His wooing and call in my life, and I can say, I want to go His way, because His ways are blameless, and man, I want to be blameless in his sight, not perfect, but blameless beyond reproach, because man, I want life. 
abundant on this earth, but I want eternal life as well. And not just for me, but man, I got I to get my friend, I got to get my brothers, I got to get my sisters, I got to get my coworkers. Like, this is big news. Like, listen to this. You could turn from yourself and your selfishness, and you could turn that way and follow Jesus Christ, and your life forever changed. We must be sharing that. And so, you need to repent. He's saying, in spite of the impending destruction of the nation of Israel, God's desire is for his people to seek him by practicing righteousness and justice so that they may receive God's blessing of an abundant life. To follow God's ways meant to hate evil, love good. But unfortunately, his people were doing the exact opposite thing. I love the fact that here at the end, that even Amos says at the very, very end of verse 15, he says, perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious. He does not presume upon the mercy and the grace of God. He knows that it's there, but he also knows that it's his. And it's not, he knows that grace and mercy are God's. It's not just mine to take. It's mine to receive. Have you ever humbled yourself before the good and holy and, and, and awesome God and said, God, perhaps I could receive your grace and your mercy. I'm not going to be so prideful to think, God, this is Stephen, born in 1981. I got so many things that I could offer to you. It's like, no, 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 no. By your grace alone, I throw myself at your mercy. Could I perhaps know your mercy? That's the attitude of repentance. Oh, perhaps I, the chief of sinners, can know the mercy and the grace of a good and loving God. So he says, if you don't, verses 16 and 17, death is around the corner. Be warned and listen, hear these words. As we close, sin is really stupid, isn't it? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. Sin is just ridiculously stupid. It's not only stupid, but it spoils things. It sickens things. It sickens us when we see it in our lives or maybe in others. But sin is not only stupid. Sometimes we do things and we're like, why did I do that? That doesn't make any sense. But it also always separates us. It harms relationships here on this earth, but it certainly separates us from God. Sin always separates us. Separate you from God, from your identity, from your purpose, from the fullness of life that you could live. So as a result of that, as we close, there's two groups that I want to talk to as we finish. And that doesn't mean pack it up, wrap it up. It means listen, hear this word. The first group, I I would say, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, is that there are those who have heard of God, the things of God, Maybe you've read a little bit of scripture, but there's, there's kind of an interest or, or a wondering about Jesus and this idea. You have a hard time, maybe, maybe even with the idea of sin, but what I want to offer you is a word that is in love, but it's also a warning because I do genuinely care, and that is this, is that every single one of us in this room, we have sinned, and because we have sinned, we are separated from God. And what that separates us from God to receive is God's wrath and justice and judgment upon our sin. And what awaits us is death and punishment. Pretty gloomy, pretty bad news. And at that point, you might say, well, then why doesn't God just rig it in a way to where he just saves me? 
But I want to remind you that God is good and loving, and these are his words. Again, not the God of the New Testament, but just the God of Scripture. Listen to him in the prophet Ezekiel. He says, this is God speaking, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather that he should turn from his ways and live. And he's like, in case you don't understand that, sometimes people are like, man, God just, he just wants to take out the wicked. No, 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 he clarifies. He, he wants to make a point. Just a few verses later in Ezekiel 18, he says, repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. So repent and live. That is the character and the heart of our God. He does not delight in the death of anyone, including the wicked. He wants you to live. So for those of you in that first group, there is that word of hope. And the hope is that since God does not delight in the death of the wicked, is that he says there is hope for you in Jesus. And in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul declares that if you are in Christ, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who have been baptized. No. There is no condemnation for those who give of themselves generously of their tithes and their offerings. No. There is no condemnation for those who attend church Oh, at least three days or three Sundays out of a month. No, it's, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because it's not about a practice or a place. It's about a person. And do you have a personal relationship with him? It's available for you. You could repent and turn to him and experience his salvation in life. And that's group one. And if that's you, then just a moment, we are going to sing and if maybe if you're online, what you need to do is you need to email us and say, I want to talk about what it means to have no condemnation. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I've grown up in church and I've gone through all the religious practices and routine, but I do not know what it means to have life abundant and free in Christ. I don't know that. I don't experience that. I don't feel that. Group two, which I believe is many of you, is you're a follower of Jesus. The issue at hand is not your salvation. That's not at stake. It's your life on this earth. It's your impact. Some of you maybe right now, it's like you're in quicksand, emotionally, spiritually. You just feel like you're being strangled in this life, and it's like, what's the point? What's the purpose? I'm just overwhelmed and stressed out. But your, your life, your impact, your legacy, your mission, your representation of God, your abundant life is at stake. I love that Parker wrote this in his book, he says, Amos and the other minor prophets help me to understand sin the way that God does so that I don't play with it. I repent of it. What I want to offer you, and we don't often want to talk about this, but you probably perhaps walked into this place and God is saying, man, hear this word. And he's revealing to you right now, not to step on you and to hammer you, but to say, there is sin in your life that needs to be dealt with and repented of. Pride, selfishness, stress, anxiety, fear. Bring it to the Lord. You might think, oh, it's so little. Bring it to the Lord. Otherwise, it will continue to keep a stranglehold upon you. And it always, always separates. It separates you from the abundant life that he designs and desires for you on this earth, this side of eternity. Too often we sweep the things under the rug and we'll say, well, God's gracious. God's merciful. I don't really want to bring that up. So my question is, what do you need to repent of? 
Not for everlasting life, but for abundant life, this side of eternity. And sometimes when we say this and we talk about this idea, people think, are you talking about getting better health or wealth or prosperity? Absolutely not. Because what I've seen in this world, and you've seen it as well, I would imagine, and I'm going to see it in just a few weeks, is I've seen people that I've gone and they live on a dollar or two a day and they have dirt floors and they have a joy and a, just a wonderment of life and fullness and they don't even feel good and their child has been poisoned by some battery acid and you just see that because of in Christ, they know life abundant and free. And we might come in and say, but man, you don't have air conditioning, and man, you don't have all these amenities, and man, you don't have all these freedoms, and man, you don't have this or that. But what they do have is Christ. He's more than sufficient. And some of you right now, with all the accoutrements and amenities that we have in this country, you are just, just overwhelmed and burdened and just weighed down and just like, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean that what you're going through is not important. It is not trivial. But I've seen people who have gone through the most excruciating of things, and through tears, they are still living their life because of who they are in Christ. And that we would say, I'm going to turn. I'm going to turn from my fear and my anxiety of all that's overwhelming. I'm going to turn to you. This is why it's so good sometimes to get outside of your borders and get outside of your bubbles and to see people who do live just so differently from us and see the joy and the fullness of Christ and all they have is rice. There's just something about it. Another way to put it is this. Christian, listen to me. This is my last question for you. Christian, follower of Jesus in this room, are you living or are you merely existing? The latter is exhausting. And it's not how God intended. It doesn't mean that it will always be easy, but I don't want to exist. I want to live. One of my favorite films, there's a line at the very end where a man's about to be executed. And this woman that he loves is just like, oh, you're going to die, it's going to be awful. And he makes the comment, he says, every man dies but not every man truly lives. Are you living? Not easy, but are you living life abundant and free in Christ? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, man, I want you to take the time to say, I need to hear this word from the Lord. And the worst thing you could do is just, man, go through the busy routine of now we sing and then we stack chairs. And then we go eat. No, don't, 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 don't miss it, or you will be just like the northern kingdom of Israel, and you're going to go, why is my life so bleak and miserable right now? Why does it seem like God is against me? He's not. He's warned you out of love and grace and mercy. Seek me that you may live. I think how that begins to change today, that you begin to live and not just exist. It could change today, this week, is that whatever God may be bringing and stirring in your mind or in your heart that you know is askew and out of line of what he would design, it would be sin, that you would identify it, confess it, bring it to the Lord, and repent. Please don't walk out of this place trying to be busy, but get intentional about living set apart. And where it begins 
is in humility and confession and repentance. Some of you could walk away today even in light of all of the difficulty that you are in fact experiencing through health or through family or through job or through finances, that stress is still going to be there. But man, you could leave this place with a burden lifted because you sought the Lord that you might live. Man, I, I, just, I want you to leave this place so excited and jubilant because you went to the Lord. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, in just a moment, we're going to pray as individuals. Some are going to sing, but Lord, may we respond to what we've heard, and may we be able to truly cry out with the words that we're about to sing, that it is in fact well with our soul, because we know that, we know that when we do mess up and when we do things that are outside of your will and we do, we do sin, that your, your grace and your mercy abound all the more. I pray in Jesus' name that Every individual could walk away from this place in this setting free because they have engaged with you, the person that is Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would, would you stand? If you need to visit with somebody, pray with someone, man, by all means, I'll be right there. I'll be happy to visit with you, pray with you. If not, spend some time with the Lord, and then as you're able to, join Lauren and just lift up your voice that it is well with your soul.